Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. back to the Neil Haley show here on the total celebrity segment. And, you know, when I think about Pittsburgh, I love talking to Pittsburghers and especially somebody that, you know, has that, you know, Pittsburgh work ethic and we, his amazing story of recovery. And I'm excited to welcome program Brian Cuban, author of the ambulance chaser and many other books and the younger brother of Mark Cuban. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. Exactly. So let's just go right to it. Growing up in Pittsburgh, how, you know, you know, even though you've gone through some challenges, you're very successful yourself as a, as a, as an attorney in your career and different things and your successes. What do you think had it so that in the Cuban household success was one thing that looked like both of you guys were going towards? It life? was the work ethic our father instilled our, uh, our father, our late father, was a uh, veteran of the Pacific, greatest generation, was on Oak during the Battle of Okinawa. He was a CB and then fought in the Korea, fought in the Korea. And he and his brother, Marty, owned a, what's called a trim shop. They reupholstered seats and they put on convertible tops. And it was on West Liberty Avenue on Auto Row in Dormont. Okay. And they had that trim shop, just working class, hard working class guys from uh, the end of the Korean War until his brother Marty passed away in 1999. And then Mark became, you know, famous and my father retired, but it was just that day-to-day work ethic. Uh, I mean, uh, our father made, you know, wanted us to be, do better, you know, wanted us to exceed what he did. And he made sure that we all understand that these were the steps you have to take. And uh, he made, he made us understand that nothing was going to be given to us. So growing up, what kind of lifestyle did you guys live? Middle class lifestyle? Uh, middle class. We I was born in I was born in St. Clair Hospital in Scott Township. Okay. Uh, but we lived in Birdland on Metal Oro Drive in Scott Township. And then in 1970, we took the step up to Mount Lebanon. And uh, that was December 11th, 1970. I remember the day we moved. And uh, we lived there until uh, I went on to college, college, then law school, and then moved to Dallas. My mom still lives in the house we grew up in. So talking about Mount Lebanon, so that's a step up from where you were. And so was that still a middle class? I mean, I, I mean, you got in Mount Lebanon, you have to remember there's you, you have different. I mean, there are the people who live in Virginia Manor. Exactly. And the people who live in other places that don't might not have as much. So we were still uh, just, I would say, middle to upper middle class. Not to say that's not privilege. Right. Because right. it is. But uh, yeah, I, we were certainly not living in Virginia Manor. Okay. And you get that school district. Did you guys both go to Mount Lebanon? You and Mark? Did, uh, yes. Mark? All three of us and Jeff as well. Oh, Jeff too. Okay. So, okay. So let's kind of go into specifically what 
your work ethic, like you learned it from your father. So who was a harder worker, you or Mark? Who would you say? Uh, I would say in the balance, uh, Mark. Uh, Mark's always had the mindset of there's always going to be someone trying to outwork you, right? And there's mm-hmm. always someone trying to take your client. So you have to work harder than them. Uh, I remember Mark didn't take, you know, he's very public about how he didn't take a vacation for seven years. Let me give you a great story okay. about how it worked. So when I first moved to Dallas, I hadn't passed the Texas bar and I didn't have a job. Mark said, you'll come work for me. I'll put you, we're very close. And that's just the way we are. Yeah. That's, that's what we, we were taught. And so uh, he had a company called Micro Solutions. And it was one of the first computer consulting companies in the country. So, and this was uh, 1987, 687. So I go to show, I, I put on, I'm this lawyer who hasn't passed the bar yet, right? My ego. I right. put on my suit and tie that, I, that I'd owned since my dad got it for me at Sears in high school. This, this briefcase that was empty. And I show up at Micro Solutions. He looks me up and down. He says, go home, put on your rattiest jeans and shirt, come back here. You're working in shipping and receiving. Oh, wow. There are, there are no lawyers here. There are only people who want to get rich, right? <laughs> you learn the business like everyone else and get rid of that stupid briefcase. And <laughs> so that, that's the mentality. Uh, and it took me a while to get there. Uh, I think I've certainly uh, taken that. Uh, viewpoint later in my life, but I would say in the balance, Mark certainly has been a harder worker than I am. And so that's crazy to know that seven years did not take a vacation. So he ultimately understood those uh, specific things. So let's talk about you now. And specifically, you go on to be a lawyer. So it sounds like Mark's uh, take on lawyers is interesting, right? <laughs> what is his take on lawyers, Mark? If that no, that's, that, 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 there's another story. I always have a story. Good. I uh, love it. See, that's Pittsburghers. We yeah, always so, have stories. Yeah. So it was 98 or 99 when the Pittsburghs, what was it, Frank Marino went bankrupt, right? EMC. Yes. And he put the Penguins in a bankruptcy. Exactly. And so the, the Penguins were in dire danger of moving to Canada, being moved to Canada. I remember that, yeah. So... At this was a time Mark was starting to get very well known. He had just sold, uh, he had just sold AudioNet to Broadcast.com and become a billionaire. Yeah, that was a big deal. I, I know that story. That's an amazing story. Sure. Yes. Yeah, so he was a paper billionaire at that point. It hadn't right. vested yet. Yeah. So I would, people would start sending me all these ideas of business pitches. It's like I'm Mark's, you know, vetter. And I just send them on to Mark and you get no, no, no. And then my law school roommate, Mark Hake from Pitt Law, uh, he knew some people involved in the Penguins deal. And so right. he sent me this email saying, would your brother have any interest in getting involved? Mario Lemieux trying to, you know, trying to buy the team, blah, 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 blah. And I forwarded on expecting a no. And Mark, I get an email back. Well, who do you know? Oh, okay. So we're getting started here. And before I know it, I'm staying in a hotel in Pittsburgh, the William, uh, the, the, at that time, it wasn't the Omni, but the William Penn yeah. uh, for, for a week or two. And we're having all these meetings. And I remember Chuck Greenberg and uh, Pietro, Bob Pietro Gala and, uh, in Pittsburgh and Mario Lemieux and the, and the late Sam Rich. And we're having all of these meetings and Mark's interested in putting in a certain amount of money in the team. Right. So things are perkling up and, boil, and boiling. And then it gets to the point where Mark is going to meet personally with Mario at Mario's house, where it might have been in Fox Chapel or wherever. But uh so Mark and I drive, and he didn't let me go to the meeting. He says, you wait. <laughs> and, I, and I waited in, in a Brugger's Bagels, and this was before the era of the smartphone. So I'm just sitting there twiddling my thumbs waiting for this meeting. And 
So we get back and Mark's all excited and he's on the phone uh, talking about having the first tranche of the investment wired in. And I'm thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to be the general manager of the Penguins. Not really, but uh, I'm thinking Mark's buying the team. So we go home, we were staying at the William Penn and the Penguins are playing, I believe it was the New Jersey Devils that night in the playoffs. Okay. So we all went out, we went to the game and we rented a limo and we drove around Dallas, to all the or Dallas, Pittsburgh, to all the bars. And I went home the next day and Mark, uh, Mark went home separately and I didn't hear anything from him. And uh, this is a long way to get to the lawyer thing, but uh, it, it, then a couple of days later, it came out that he had, he wasn't going to do it and he wasn't going to get in on the deal. Right. So he, the, the public statement was that there were, wasn't, weren't enough business people and too many lawyers in the room. <laughs> and, and when you think about it, there were a lot of lawyers in that room. Myself, Bob Pietragala, uh, Chuck Greenberg, Mark Hake. And uh, so uh, the only one who wasn't a lawyer in that room, I think, was Mario. <laughs> wow. So that's, and, that's an interesting story. And a lot of times you don't know those backstories about lawyers and those things. So then you start your, your career as a lawyer. What led to the addiction? Uh, spe- spe- specifically uh, growing not- up, that's a great question. Growing up in Mount Lebanon, I was an overweight kid and I was bullied severely uh, at Mount Lebanon High School. And uh, things, I mean, this was in the mid to late 70s and uh, bullying at that what that time was brick and mortar, right? There was no internet. Right. Uh, I was fat teased, fat taunted. And uh, in my freshman year, it was around my freshman year at Lebo, my brother uh, Mark and I know it always comes back around to Mark, but we're very close and we did things together. And, and But uh, he was very into the disco scene. And this was right when Saturday Night Fever was about to come out. And around 1976 to 77, okay. when disco was really starting to get going. And they had the disco clubs in downtown Pittsburgh. And uh, he had this pair of shiny gold bell-bottom disco pants and he gave them to me. And Mark wasn't a big guy. These, these pants, I had to jump up and down, spray the water bottle. My butt like looked like 15 cats back there. And, uh, but I didn't care because I love my brother and I wore them. And I'm walking home from school one day with these kids. It's my freshman year. And they're making fun of the pants, fat teasing me and taunting right. me. And uh, they physically assaulted me. Oh, no. And they tore the pants off along Bower Hill Road. And... Uh, down to my Fruit of the Loom tidy whities my Pittsburgh Pirate t-shirt, my uh, tube socks and my kids' tennis shoes, and threw them out in the street. They started pulling at them, and then before they, it was kind of like rabid dogs, right? First you start pulling, it tears, and right. then they're all pulling, and it was a physical assault. And they went on high five, and like they'd done the funniest thing ever, and I walked out into Bower Hill Road, very busy street, and uh, you know, in, in Mount Lebanon, and runs through all the way up to Cochran Road, and. Uh, and, and kind of covered up my tidy whities and waddled home. And I got home and that house was empty. And I waddled down our wooden steps to the basement. And I, I remember it, it was the steps creaked. And with every creak, I felt like the whole world knew my shame, right? And knew what had happened to me. I got into that basement and I buried the pants, uh, the shreds in a wastebasket and hoping that that would bury my shame, but that's not how trauma works. And uh, and that was kind of the beginning. And there was more to it than that one incident. I was a very shy kid. I was very withdrawn. Classic middle child syndrome, needing of acceptance. And it was kind of a perfect storm. And uh, so there were other elements going on, but it was, there was, that was kind of the linchpin in how, how I started to see myself as this fat pig, as I'd been called so many times, and this unlovable monster who would never have a date, never kiss a girl, never... Mm-hmm 
you know, hold a girl's hand, never be loved. And, uh, and I also had a bit of a difficult relationship with my mother, but I don't blame her for any of this. I don't want people to think there's right. parent blaming here, cause and correlation are two different things. Right. But, uh, and so there was some trauma and, it, and I could go to that spot today and show you exactly where it happened. Wow. And so, and I never told anyone for decades, for decades. And so that I started seeing just this horrific reflection in the mirror and began cycling through all these destructive behaviors to see something different. Right. But the image never changed. First, it was an eating disorder. I suffered from bulimia. Uh, guys do get eating disorders. Then came alcohol. Then came the cocaine. Uh, and then in 2005, my first of two trips to a psychiatric hospital after a near suicide attempt, uh, when my brothers came in and I had a 45 automatic on my nightstand. And then uh, three failed marriages, all failing because of drugs and alcohol. I was arrested. And then... Uh, Lost my lost my practice lost my practice of law and literally and here's where privilege comes in again. Mark was supporting me uh, because I was a mess and I had no way of earning a living. And then finally, in 2007, after a drug and alcohol and dose two day blackout, I realized uh, I was going to die if I didn't get my life together. And I began my recovery journey. Oh wow! And what was the I saw one of the things in when that you ended up selling your Mavs. Yeah, that's a great story. Uh, that was in 2006 when the Mavs, my 20th year as a practicing lawyer. Uh, in 2006, when the Mavs were going to the NBA championship for the very first time. So uh, as you might imagine, I was going to get some good seats, right? right? So I also got some tickets for friends. I got two tickets. I didn't give them to my friends. I told Mark they were friends. I sold them to my cocaine dealer for $1,000 in cocaine. And so, uh, and, and, and so my cocaine dealer shows up at my house. He uh, gives me the cocaine. I give him the tickets. I go running up to my home office, this giant oak desk, and I dump all the cocaine out of this baggie, at, like this little mountain, looking at it like I'm Scarface. I wanted to go and rub my nose in it. And so I lined some out with a dollar bill. And cocaine users, we're, uh, you know, we're, we're an ironic bunch. You go to the bathroom, you wash your hands in pandemic times, you'll put on hand, you'll sanitize your hands, but we'll stick a dollar bill up our nose that's been used by God knows who and God has God knows what on it, go figure. But at that point, cocaine had long stopped giving me the feelings that I achieved that allowed me to be the person I thought I should be. And that would, now it was just pain and paranoia. I thought I heard the cops outside and go peeking out the window and there's no one out there, but now I'm all paranoid. And I hide the cocaine. I drive to a, a home improvement store where I buy electrical faceplate outlets, a drill and a saw. I drive back to my house. I go to the closets, to the drywall upstairs with the drill and a saw, Bzz, uh, cut it out and create these fake electrical outlets, put the cocaine in smaller Ziploc baggies, hide it behind all these fake electrical outlets, close it up, bzz, 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 thinking I'm the smartest lawyer ever. Right. Like the DEA, the cops and the drug dogs have never thought of that before. Right. Now, I do some more and again, just pain and shame. And I'm all paranoid again. An hour passes. I go to the, those same electrical outlets. I take out the cocaine, put it back in the same Ziploc baggie, go to my master bathroom and flush it down the toilet. Now it's $900 worth of cocaine because I did something. Right. So the next morning comes. I wake up. What? Did I? No, nah, I didn't do that. Did I? Yeah, I did. I flushed all my cocaine down the toilet. There's another game tonight. I call up Mark. I get two more tickets. 
my dealer shows up at my house. He said, dude, you did all that last night. I don't want to say I flushed it down the toilet like a moron. Right. I said, yes, I did it all. Okay, dude. Gives me another giant Ziploc baggie. I give him two more tickets. I go running up to my home office, rinse, wash, repeat, dump it out on the desk again. One more time. Uh, do a couple more lines. But it, it, I mean, and it was never an epiphany that I might have a problem. Right. It was always, well, maybe I need a new dealer. Or maybe I need to change out the Grey Goose for the Jack Daniels. And the paranoia came again. Back to the electrical outlets. Bzz, 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 bzz. Hide them again. Hide the coat baggies again. Take it back out again. About an hour or so later, go back to that same bathroom like I'd done so many times before. Drop to my knees, hoping or prank or something or someone to take away the pain and shame of my life and addiction and flushed it down the toilet again. Oh my God. They say when Dallas flushes, it runs downhill to Houston. So maybe some people in Houston had a little hop in their steps those two nights. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> when you finally did, this is the thing. How do people go from, you know, making these mistakes and knowing their addiction and then finally go to rehab and recover? Because a lot of them don't recover. They don't. Uh, we I had uh, 100,000 overdoses, fatal overdoses last year. But uh, a lot of that was fentanyl, too. But uh, a lot of them don't. And I didn't go to treatment. I, I, I recovered in 12-step. Oh, 12-step. I refused to go to treatment. I refused to go to treatment. I was much too important a lawyer with no cases to go to treatment. Uh, it was an interesting time. But uh, recovery is never is not a straight line for pretty much anyone, right? You, you have steps forward. You have steps backwards. But I ask people, when I speak, I do a lot of speaking. When I, when I speak, I ask people to answer a question. What is the one prerequisite to recovery? And I'll get answers like you have to want it. You can't recover right. if you don't want it. No, be alive. That is the only prerequisite to recovery. Be wow. above ground. And some people don't stay above ground, but I was fortunate and it could have gone the other way. That's why I feel so fortunate uh, that I'm alive today because I was mixing cocaine with alcohol. I was mixing cocaine with uh, Valium. Wow. My heart easily could have stopped. Yeah. I mean, but easily, easily. So I feel very fortunate to be alive. Yeah, it definitely seems like that. And it's like, you know, the be alive and hopefully be doing what you want to do in life. Because again, addiction kept you from that success of losing your practice and everything. So after recovering, you basically went, did you continue to practice as a lawyer after that? Uh, no, uh, I never wanted to be a lawyer. I never wanted to be a lawyer. I went to law, I was a criminal justice major. I wanted to be a cop at Penn State. That would have worked out well. Right. I'd have been the first guy in the evidence room trading up a baby accident for the blow. Yeah. Believe me. But uh, I, I wanted to, I, I didn't want to be a lawyer. You know why I went to law school? Because law school was three years and I could spend three years drinking because I was already an alcoholic when I went to pit law. I was binge, still binging and purging because I had an eating disorder. And I was also running 10 to 20 miles a day because the only time I felt okay is when I was by myself out on the road. Mm -hmm. uh, it was called exercise bulimia. And so as I found recovery and began to be able to evaluate my future for the first time right. with a clear head, right? It had gone from just surviving moment to moment right. to recovering moment to moment. And as I began to recover moment to moment, one step at a time, I began to figure out what my strengths really were and what I truly loved. And that was writing, that was speaking, that was sharing my experience, strength, and hope to give other people that hope that recovery is possible. Just stay alive. Right. 
So you moved away from that. So is it more of an entrepreneurial mindset with your speaking, writing and all that stuff? Or how did you kind of, okay, I'm not going to practice be a lawyer anymore. I'm going to go on to this where I'm going to speak, tell my story of addiction, how I overcame addiction, write books as you are. We could talk about, we're going to talk about your books soon and go out and do that. Is, did you make that a business in a way? How did you kind of put that together to what that that was also an evolution. I wrote my first book, uh, my very first book, which was self-published was called shattered image. And it was purely about my struggles with body image and eating disorders. And it got a lot of publicity because of my last name, frankly, and because I'm a guy going public with an eating disorder. And all of a sudden, all these people are reaching out to me to speak. I had no public speaking experience, none. And so I started going to Rotary's clubs and Lions clubs to practice. That's a good idea. Just uh, practice my art. You get a free lunch or a free breakfast, and no one really cares if you mess up. So I started doing that. Then all of a sudden, I'm speaking at Penn State. I'm speaking at Pitt. And I had become fairly well known on the college speaking circuit for eating disorders and body image because it was very unusual for a guy, especially with a known right. name, to be out there. And that started the process of public speaking, perfecting my art as a public speaker. Then I wrote The Addicted Lawyer, which was more of a pure memoir about my overall life experience. Right. Uh, and then uh, that was very well, that got a lot of notice in the legal profession. And that I really transitioned to my primary profession as a keynote speaker, uh, speaking at law firms. I do a lot of big law, am law firms, uh, conferences all over the country and in Canada. So it was a progression. Right. And so that's what you do. You, so you're a professional speaker and write. That's yeah. Yeah, an author and, and, and an author. But of course, with the pandemic, uh, the keynote speaking industry uh, collapsed, right? Yes. Unless, other than maybe in tech where they're more used to virtual, but uh, for, for mental health and nonprofit, it, it just collapsed. So the it was obviously not to make light of it, but the very tiny silver lining for me was that it gave me a chance to finish the ambulance chaser. Okay. So let's talk about the ambulance chaser and uh, the, the, the storyline of it. And again, it takes place in Pittsburgh. So it does. And yeah. there was never any doubt. Uh, the ambulance chaser, is about a Pittsburgh personal injury lawyer who finds himself accused of the murder of a high school classmate 30 years prior after her remains are discovered in a vacant lot in the Hill District. Oh, wow. He is arrested and charged with her murder, and he flees, becoming a fugitive, to find the one person who can prove his innocence and save the life of his abducted son. See, I love the storyline, but you can't give anything more away. It's just like, ah, yeah. I, I, on the edge of my... So do you want to put this into maybe a movie someday or something? Does it I'd st- love somebody to offer to do it as a screenplay. But yeah, I mean, I, it, it's Pittsburgh is a very underrepresented city when it comes to fiction, right? And novels and certainly crime novels and legal right. thrillers. I mean, you have the mysteries of Pittsburgh and you have uh, uh, the perks of being a wallflower, but there are very few and especially not legal thrillers. So I really never had any question that it would be, be set there. And uh, I really wanted to pay tribute to the city in a way, too. Uh, there are, the Cathedral of Learning is in there. The, uh, Duke, the Incline is a very important part That's of the book. Uh, so the Hill District. Uh, and a lot of it mirrors parts of my life, as you might expect. Jason, the protagonist, struggles with drugs and alcohol. Uh, Jason's father struggles with dementia, as my father did. So there are aspects that mirror my life. And you write what you know. Uh, my grandparents and my mom uh, lived in the Hill District, the Hill District Projects, uh, before going to East Liberty and then to Squirrel Hill, kind of the route. And uh, so there are there are aspects. That sounds it sounds great to have those landmarks and people, as I say, 
live in other cities, but always are from Pittsburgh. So there is a definite opportunity, you know, your memoir, but now this to really market to Pittsburghers. Look yeah. at the, think of the Pittsburgh dad, right? Uh, yeah. that, that's going, you know? Yeah. You know, what's funny is I, I won't give too much away, but uh, I couldn't believe that people at P- Pittsburghers are saying they never heard of the uh, Pittsburgh version of the Mile High, High Club because there's a bit of that in the book. Do you know what that is? No. You'll it's, have, having I, sex, it's having sex on the incline. I did not know that. And so you've I, done it. You've done it. No, I have not done it. But no, no I have not done it. But people in law school have done it. Wow, I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So people don't know that, and uh, I was like, "Wow, I guess well, maybe those people in law school were lying." But uh, you know, I don't know. Bragging, that would be uh, an interesting one, and it's, it's such a breathtaking place. But I never, I've been on the incline, but it's how we have to be late at night, right? For sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. It has to be. It has to be it's, it's always packed. Yeah, it has to be late at night, but. Uh, I, I mean, maybe they were just bragging and it wasn't true, but... Uh, hey, it's a good story. Like, you know, storytellers in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, yeah. We so, always tell stories. Yeah. yeah, so it's, I mean, of course, a lot of the book is fictionalized, but uh, there are uh, a lot of good Pittsburgh landmarks and I think there's a good Pittsburgh flavor. There's a there's a underlying Jewish tone, um, Jewish, uh, uh, you know, so there's a lot of that in there. And uh, so I, that that's really what it's about. So what do you think? So what's new with you? What are you going to, are you back speaking again? Cause of, of COVID uh, for 22, my, my uh, speaking schedule is filling in a lot. That's great. I've, I've, I've done quite a bit of virtual stuff, but I'm ready to get back out on the stage. Uh, I am already at work on the sequel to the ambulance chase. Well, that's great. So is the feedback gone, gone very well so far with the book? And yeah, so far it launched Tuesday. It's already sold uh, close to 3000 books, including pre-orders. So I'm told that for a debut fiction author, that's a very good launch. That is a really good launch. So I'm very happy about that. Yeah. And so you're going to go more that direction of creating characters and writing that way than after pushing, you know, getting the memoir out and then stories of the eating disorder. You're really looking at writing fiction novels, it sounds like. Is that? Yeah. How many times can I tell my own story? Right. So Uh, you'll tell it every time you go on stage. That's when you do it. That's That's right. How many times can I write about my own story? Yeah, but uh, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed it, and I'm looking at this as a trilogy. That's fantastic. And then after that, who knows what you're going to write about? You know, one place that I interview authors all the time is the Miami Book Fair every year. I don't go to the Miami Book Fair; I I do it virtually, and it's amazing to see these authors that've written 20 of the books on the same character. So you never know. Uh, yeah, that- I don't know. I don't know. You know what? I didn't know the characters in the ambulance chaser, whether it's the villain Trent or the protagonist Jason or his uh, Allegheny DA ex-wife, Jason's Allegheny County DA ex-wife, they all ended up doing and saying things near the, you know, as the book evolved that I didn't envision them doing and saying when I began their journey, when I began their timeline and journey. So uh, fiction writing is just such a fascinating process. Exactly. So uh, what does Mark think of the book? Has he read it yet? Uh, yeah, he gave it a review and he's been helping me push it. And uh I have a little bit of privilege there too. I have a brother with a huge social media following that's, uh, that's very close and loves me and uh, has been helping me promote it. That's great. All right. So any other new things with you? I know you do a lot of work with recovery, right? And yeah, I do. I do. I do a lot of work with recovery. Uh, my recovery journey has been through 12 step. Uh, and for those who don't know, the most well-known is AA, but there are others, right? Uh, so uh, I do a lot of speaking, whether it's, uh, I do a lot of, uh, uh, just pro bono speaking at homeless shelters, men's homes, uh, and, and places like that. And uh, I just like paying it forward, right? There's a, uh, 
there is a uh, Kabbalistic Jewish saying called Tikkun Olam. It means changing the world with acts of kindness. And that is my, that is always my mission above all, first above all else to stay in recovery and then to change the world with acts of kindness, my little part of the world. See, I like how that you're doing that. That's the mission that people are going to want to help out and different things. So Brian, best place, books available everywhere, right? Books available everywhere. Uh, it may not have, it may not have filtered into the book and mortar Barnes and Nobles yet, uh, but it will. And, but it's available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble online, Target online, anywhere you can find it online, it's available. Your indie bookstore, you can get it. And, and best place to connect to you, Mark. I mean, Brian, is where to go? Where should we go? Uh, www.briancuban.com, Brian with an I. All right, Brian, appreciate it. Thanks for stopping by. It was amazing and great catching up with Pittsburgh stories. I want to read the book just to think about those Pittsburgh landmarks and never knew about the incline. Oh, yeah, so. the, the Pittsburgh version of the Maha Club. That's, That's right. right. People are going to say that. So appreciate it, Brian. Thanks for stopping by, man. Thank you for having me. All right. You're listening and watching the Neil Haley Show. We'll be back in just a moment. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the COVID-19 vaccine show, the number one COVID-19 vaccine show in the world. And I'm excited to welcome the program, Dr. Mark Hayden. Dr. Mark, what's going on, man? How are you? Doing great. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's a wonderful blessing to be alive today. Absolutely. It's always, especially when you get to do what you love. And I think that you see the humanitarian thing that you're providing for people. The, there's a couple of points that I've seen on Facebook. And the reason is Facebook has become the place to tell you what's happening with COVID-19 without having to see the propaganda that sometimes happens where you don't get both sides of the story. I get Republican news. I get Democrat news. I get conspiracist news on Facebook regarding COVID. So let's just jump really quickly into this. And the first thing that is happening is Omicron. We're dealing with a boost of more cases in Delta. We're looking at all these different areas. You're thinking this is going to not last forever, COVID. But I'll jump right into the first one. The current vaccine can it stop Omicron? Is it keep you from getting Omicron or not getting it, but not ha- not having the symptoms of it? Which is kind of goofy because the truth is that the other vaccine, again, you could spread it and you won't have as many symptoms. Is is it is it able to treat Omicron or not? The current vaccines, in fact, all intramuscular vaccines. And when we use the word vaccine, we're talking about intramuscular vaccines from around the world, all countries. They're based on the spike protein. Uh, those, that spike protein has mutated severely in Omicron, which means that it is virtually of no effect. The old vaccines that Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, you go through them, anything available to you in either the US, China, Asia, wherever, they're based on spikes, are basically useless. Useless. And that's because that spike has mutated so much. So These are in the receptor binding domain. Okay. These so mutations mean, and there's another thing that goes on with Omicron, is that we have seen an, a, vac, a virus, which I told you a year ago, Neil, I told you a year ago that that virus would mutate into forms that are better aerosol spread. Did I tell you that, Neil? Yes, you did. Now, don't you remember last, I'm going to roll back the clock to mid-2020, 
Fauci, the head of the CDC, was acting like aerosol spread is not no big deal. It's not going to occur. People just cough and you need a regular mask to protect you. You remember those days? Yes. Yeah. Obviously, uh, he didn't know. Any rate, I shouldn't. You know, part of me. OK, he's not the smartest tool in the woodshed or he doesn't tell everything he knows. How's that sound? Is that a fair? Right, that's, fair so that, that's that's fair. Let's go with just more yeah. fact questions. So basically, okay. you're saying that the Omicron, even Delta, you said really does that you get the vaccine. It doesn't really stop the spread of no. Delta. I'll give you I'll give you a prime example. When Delta came through after the first wave, we had a, a first wave that hit most people. Actually, it hit actually the first waves hit most people before the vaccines ever came out in January and February. Most people were getting mild exposure. You, Neil, have never had, ha, ha, Neil, have you ever had a spike protein vaccine? I'm not going to answer that question, and we'll just go with that one. Just okay, but let's say not... you're a person who never had it. Okay, does that mean that you've never encountered COVID nineteen? Oh, no, you definitely have, yeah, because it's going to be in your food. If you're, if it's you're going to be on your that, food so during the last pandemics, because if you bought takeout, right now there or, are or, or, or just think about it. You, you're the first people to go out to a restaurant. You walk yes. in with a mask on. You take your mask on, you sit down. What's the difference of walking in with a mask if you're taking your mask off and those servers? There's going to be some sort of spread, especially it's on your food. It, there's no way it, of stopping somebody from accidentally, you know, uh, having some sort of things in your food. And you talked about that with that. So I just right. want to jump in. So specifically hit these questions, Mark. So the first one, the Omicron, absolutely you're saying that this is even more Delta, the spread can't stop the spread with the vaccine. What, here's another point that I heard from Dr. Christopher Hall, who's another one of my great analysts who, again, Fauci and Biden call conspiracist doctors. And now the, the, the left, and that's going to go to left and right in this conversation, because these questions have to be answered instead of just let's end this. The thing is happening is that there were more deaths in 2021 for COVID than 2020. True or false? That's exactly true. Well, why is that reported? Why? And so we're out being able to okay. do all of our different things, and yet there's more deaths in 2021 than 2020 for COVID. What matters to the powers that control the national governments around the world is control. This is a control issue. These people want to control their populations. And they, they want to control the population, whether you're in China or whether you're in the U.S. or whether you're in Russia. And when you have what you want to do is convince people that the government has the power to save your life. Well, it it's, big, it's big, big money. It's a big money thing. It's just like yeah. anything else. It's just why we allow specific plastics to go everywhere. Well, we allow uh, certain foods to have um you chemicals sprayed on them, regardless if it's killing us with cancer, uh, allowing certain things. It's just, again, part of the system. And whatever's big money, whatever's big power is, is going to be that way. That's why you don't you see on Fox News, they're still going to push the vaccine because they're being funded in that way. They're just going to push the right saying it's not right. But people that did get the vaccine, they're applauding, saying it's fine. Uh, like uh, I forget the doctor that was on that was talking about it, who's one of the big Fox analysts. Okay, so now Omicron, is it that dangerous? Is this variant as dangerous as Delta 
or even the original COVID. Now, let me tell you this. Omicron is, is far safer than the original if you had any exposure in the prior waves. Okay. Guess what? People were having exposure in the prior waves. So what protected these people is not because the vaccine, which is, has a spike protein, which is mutated, but the original natural infections that they, from eating it on their food and breathing it in their chest, which I did, I have never advocated breathing COVID into your lungs because that's a bad disease. Right. But I did advocate eating it. Did I not, Neil? Yes, absolutely. Okay. okay. So when you ate it accidentally, unknowingly, what happened was your stool, your intestinal tract began to recognize it and build a defense, not just to the spike protein, but to the other membrane protein. And that membrane protein on Omicron is not different from the original COVID strains. So you have an antibody defense against the membrane proteins. You have already recognized it. And that antibody defense against the membrane proteins and your recognition is based on your prior exposure. So for the vast majority of people, they already have immune exposure and they already have a partial defense that will pre prevent them from having severe symptoms and eliminate their risk of death. I'll give you a prime. Here's a story I want you to take home today. Somebody goes into a European restaurant one person, they're infected. I think it was what? It, was it 100 or just 40 people got infected in that European restaurant? Oh, you're talking about, okay, I know what you're talking about. I think it's Norway. It was a Christmas restaurant, Christmas party. Yes. Christmas and party everyone, in Norway. Everyone, every one of them was vaccinated. And half yes, every, got okay. infected. And, and, yeah, and guess what? About 40 people get it from one person. Now, here's my point. What about the, the people run out and say, oh my goodness, I've got somebody got Omicron, but they're not sick. They just have a mild cold at the yeah. worst. Okay. But hey, guess what I would say? Hey, do you have any leftover food from that restaurant that I could eat? Because if it was breathed everywhere, it's going to deposit on the food. Did you put any in the freezer for me? Did you take those people and have them rinse out their mouth with some water that I can drink? Because I can get, if, if I don't even want a cold, I can expose myself right. to the Omicron variant in water. So how can we trust that the PCR tests really test positive for Omicron? And What's that? How can we trust these PCR tests that they're really foolproof and they work? You know, the PCR tests, when done with the proper multiplication test, those are accurate. So people are asking themselves this question. How come Omicron's not killing me? What they don't want to tell you what the CDC and World Health Organization doesn't want to tell you is that during the last year and a half, during these waves of epidemic, you have been exposed unknowingly, even right. though you didn't have a positive test at some point. Guess what? You were exposed. And so what is protecting the people is their prior exposure. Now, some of the media will try to spin this. And what you'll hear is the word, you'll hear this expression, Omicron is a weak COVID strain. Guess what? Omicron is not a weak COVID strain. If you gave Omicron to someone who was isolated at the North Pole for two years, who had no COVID exposure, and you let them inhale it, they will get 
very, very sick and as sick or sicker than the original strains. However, those are very few people. Almost everybody, 99, 95% has had exposures. Now there will be anecdotal cases where people have HIV or people have lymphoma or some kind of autoimmune disease and their immune system is so whacked out that one in a thousand, one out of those people may have a risk. Okay. But for ordinary people, they're not going to have a risk from Omicron if they've had any prior exposure. Why are we the seeing such a big, is, yes. and we talked about this before, what about, let's talk about specifically enough, the number of cases that are increasing in the United States that are Delta, that hospitalization is up in specific areas, especially as we're hearing areas where there was a higher level of people vaccinated. That, yes. That, what, yeah. Okay, what, now let me tell you how that runs. And mm -hmm. I want to explain, welcome to the spin zone, American CDC. The CDC comes out and they say, you know, we don't have people on ventilators with Delta because Delta was not the first wave. Delta was like a second wave or a third wave. Much of the population had already been exposed with Delta. So what the CDC said is, We've got to convince people to get more vaccines so that when they live, they'll be convinced that by following the CDC recommendations, they saved their life. Guess what? That was hogwash. But here's what they did. CDC goes to the hospitals and say, we'll pay you for hospitalization and antiviral treatments. Those people that were hospitalized with COVID were getting antiviral treatments. They weren't on ventilators, but it sounds real scary. Oh, I had to be hospitalized. Oh, were you there for an IV treatment? Were you on oxygen? Were you intubated? No. Then why couldn't they done it at home? Yeah, because it looks more dramatic to, to say you got hospitalized. And so you had all these scared people that, oh, I didn't get my, I didn't get my COVID shot, but I had to run down and I had to run down and get a, 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 Four antibiotics when I got Delta wave. For some people with real poor that had no exposure, they would get bad sick. Okay. All right. So what about the plant-based vaccine? What's up with that? Have you ever gotten and looked into that yet? You know, the, the shift is going to be away from the spike protein. There was a great article written a year ago, and I think we went over it. I want to say we went over that a year ago that when the spike mutated, they should have used the membrane protein instead because it didn't mutate. Guess what? All the, all the vaccine companies, they just kept making the money. You can't get these people off their butt to do, well, I mean, that's, that, once again, that's just negative. I don't need to be negative. Uh, the, um, the reality is they should have made an antibody, they should have made membrane-based vaccines, not spike-based. And we brought that out a year ago. Exactly. Okay, so. What's up with uh, the whole situation of the COVID pill? You know, it's not an ivermectin. It's not a uh, hydroxychloroquine. They created one for one of the big pharma companies. And that pill, they're saying it's still not what the vaccine is, but it's a way to treat COVID patients. What is What have you been hearing so far on that? Okay, so guess what? Now... As long as it gets approved by the CDC and somebody does it, they will think that they live because of the CDC following their advice. It doesn't matter whether it's a, a pill. They will not attribute any of their survival or their decreased symptoms to natural immunity. Neil, you, if you wanted to make some money, Neil, 
you can make a rabbit's foot and sell it on eBay and say that if people will rub that rabbit's foot, their, their risk of death from Omicron will be less than one in a thousand. Now, the truth is, is their death rate from Omicron is less than one in a thousand. But it has nothing to do with their lucky rabbit's foot. You can go get an extra Pfizer vaccine now, but 99% of the time, if you want to get a, a Pfizer booster or a, a, or, a, you're get, or a Moderna booster at this point, you're getting a booster to a highly mutated spike protein that is not applicable, is, has barely any use on a highly mutated Omicron variant. So this, you pill, don't get so, so this sick, pill, so this pill yes. basically is, is it like hydroxychloroquine or um, zithromycin or, you know, or, you know, one of the things I try not to do, mm -hmm. let me tell you, I, I, I try to stick within my field of expertise. I got it. Okay. And I have not studied that in detail, so I'll I can't to, go I'll into I'll details about it. Yeah. I would have to study that. And, and, you know, if I stay in my niche stuff, I'm, I'm, familiar with with the zoral inoculation yes. Gotcha. Yes. okay so those are the questions so far and this is again thanks to facebook and uh, answering every question that's happening if it continues to increase i doubt we're going to see lockdowns because they want people to people to be vaccinated the unvaccinated are going to be the people that are going to be locked down as it's happening in other countries well and neil you're already beginning to see the legal effects here's what they're doing is they're declaring already the Senate is, is refusing to bump the fund, the Biden lockdown measures where, where, you, where federal employees have to get vaccinated or they have to get tested once a week. You're also seeing it, it being declared unconstitutional. And a year or two from now, they will look back and they will say, what was wrong with these people? for demanding people that had natural infections get vaccinated. There was never a justification for that, except that was a member of, that was a tyranny. Right. That was totalitarianism. That was, you know, I won't call that communism because I don't want to slander communism or socialism. When the government required American citizens to get a vaccine they did not need just to be compliant with their political needs, that's awful. All right. That so is on. reprehensible. And it will go down in history as a crime against the American people. All right. So let's go and jump to the stuff you have for us today. Okay. Look, I'm, we're at about 11. Okay. Here's my message for today. I have told people who follow our show. I have told people that I was discuss with them a new pet. Haven't I told you that too, yes. Neil? Okay. So I go... You know, and I try the what are the purposes? Patents are there because you need to document for historical sake who had ideas. It will turn out that eventually three to five years from now, they're using live virus in oral ways. So you're going to have a live virus oral just like you have an oral polio virus. Yeah. So that's going to come here, Neil, no matter how much they resist it, but they'll get around to it a year or two from now. And then I'll have my patent application. I'll point out for the historical record. Hey, guess what, guys? I, I, I filed that patent in the spring of 2020. Now, one of the things that we want to do, Neil, is discuss COVID is here to stay so far as in one form or another. The current Omicron variant is very safe. It's very benign. But it doesn't mean that just because Omicron is benign that 
six months, a year, or six years from now, there won't be a very dangerous sort. And also, Neil, what you need to think of is that when we're passing Omicron without having symptoms, it is still air pollution. That may be affecting our immune system and our lungs, and we need to keep our air as clean as possible. Don't you believe in clean air, Neil? Yes. The patents that I present, God willing, before the end of the year, will hopefully make a way in which we can have cleaner air and not transmit the virus. And that will be an important improvement in our in our skill set and methods for preventing future epidemics that are aerosolized. Do you, does that make sense, Neil? It makes complete sense. Now, I do want to say, a lot of times I seem negative about the U.S. government. I do want to take, thank the Small Business Administration for their loan earlier this year. It wasn't for COVID-related, but it was for medical, medical. Yeah, I mean, I live in a country where I have internet access, you know, and I appreciate all the all the internet access, and uh, I appreciate all the people in government who do nice things, uh, etc. Uh, but that should be out in another week or two. I had contacted my patent attorney because he hadn't sent me my my research, my research module. He sent me that two days ago. Hopefully, I can get the rest of the. Uh, patents off, and we can discuss that within a week or two before the end of the year, before Christmas. All right, perfect. And, and and that will be, we need to make, we need to understand as human beings that COVID, aerosolized virus, is now a part of the rest of our lives, and most likely. But guess what? You can tolerate it. You can have clean air. Clean air is good air. You don't have to do crazy things with putting crazy things in your body. There's other ways to treat it. And we need to be fair to the people around us. You know, the safest person to be around is not somebody who is vaccinated, but somebody who's had a natural infection. They should give bonus points to everybody who's had a natural infection because they're safer to be on the federal workforce. That's right. But at any rate, one of the things, we will have that later this year, and I look forward to presenting that. I want the people in our audience who listen to us to know many of the things we said a year ago were unbelievable. They were outlandish. We told people that face masks, it would be aerosolized. Face masks wouldn't work. Regular surgical masks wouldn't work. We told people that the vaccines would not prevent transmission. And guess what? The vaccines didn't prevent transmission. We said that first. You know, I want every member of our audience to re realize they can use their mind. They can be their own judge. You don't have to swallow everything your government or the CDC feeds into your mouth. Look at things with a critical standpoint. You know, when you look at me, I haven't asked you, have I asked you for any money, Neil? No, you've not asked me for any money. No, I hadn't. Have I asked any of the listeners for any money? No, I don't. This is about public education as a public service. We don't control our data. You know, I don't control my data. Doc. Thousands of years ago, Jesus Christ, who I believe is the son of God, he said in Matthew, 
I think it's Matthew 5th chapter. He said, two sparrows do not fall. A sparrow does not fall to the ground unless it's the will of God. People, if a sparrow is not going to die unless it's going to be the will of God, then I'm not going to die unless it's the will of God. And what I want my viewers to hope for me is that I live my life with dignity, honor, fairness to others, that I defend the weak, and that I do the will of God while I live. And, and pray that when I do die, I don't die as some sniveling, crybaby, whining. Guess what? Pray that I'm, I'm ready to go and thankful for all the opportunity that I had to do something good in life. All right. So, Neil, and I hope, you know, Neil, you've got friends, you've got family, you've got people you reach. I'll tell you this one story. And this will help you understand things better. My mother had malignant melanoma from the time I was eight years old till she died when I was 11. One day I threw a rock into a puddle on a, I was actually in first grade on a military base over in, in my dad, I was an Air Force brat. They suspended me because the, the principal had said, if you throw a rock, you will get suspended because some child had been hit by a rock. So anyway, I wasn't the guy kid who threw the rock, but they suspended me for a day. So I went home. My mom took me home and she was a working woman. I didn't get to spend that much time in my childhood. She took me and she bought me a milkshake. And I think that was a chocolate milkshake. I'm almost sure it was chocolate. I remember that chocolate milkshake all these years later. It was one of the few times in my life that I got to spend with my mother before she died was the day I was suspended from school. When you are in your life, Neil, and when our listeners are in their life, when you reach out and do it an act of kindness to somebody, you don't know how much that may matter to that person. So don't be overcome with fear. Don't let fear run your life. Instead, look at every day as an opportunity to reach out and touch somebody in a meaningful way and let them know that you care. Okay. Now, truth be told, I'm not a very caring person, am I? I no, but there I have my moments when I'm a nice guy. But, you know, if you, if you get a reputation for being a nice guy, everybody comes and tries to mooch off of you and it gets really tough. So I try to limit my images of being a nice guy. All right. But Neil... I appreciate the time and I want you to do, I want you and our listeners to try once a day, do something good. And remember our every day is a gift from God. My appointed time to die is my appointed time, time to die. You have a great time and live without fear, live with faith and do something great today for somebody. It may seem small, but it may be so meaningful to other people. Okay. You have a great day. Neil. All right. All right. That was the COVID-19 vaccine show guys. Take care.
Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.